And so there's different kinds of ways that we might have courage and might think about courage as a lion. Um, you know, my, one of my favorite movies, and maybe yours too, is The Wizard of Oz. And we have there the cowardly lion. And he's sort of the paradox of, of what we're talking about. That he's somebody who is a lion and yet he's afraid. And maybe remember his monologue where he's talking and he's trying to build himself up to have courage. And he says, what makes a king out of a slave? Courage. Right? What makes the flag on the master wave? Courage. What makes an elephant charge his tusk in the misty mist or the dusky dusk? What makes the muskrat guard his musk? Courage. What makes a sphinx the seventh wonder? Courage. What makes the dawn come up like thunder? Courage. What makes the hot and tot so hot? What makes, what puts the ape in apricot? Courage. What have they got that I ain't got? And then his three friends say, courage. And then he says, you can say that again. Because he knew that what it took to have courage he didn't yet have. And I think this is true for all of us, is that God knows that we want courage, and we know that we want courage. And the story is about how God gives us courage. And the more that we understand the story, but live the story, the more we have courage. It's one thing to know it, and it's another thing to do it. And today we want to look at Daniel and how he did courage. We want to look at the lives of, of Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah and see how they had courage as we look at the book of Daniel and as we go through it today. As we think of Daniel and we look at the scriptures, we see that Daniel had to be courageous. He had been taken away from his home in Judah. He'd been taken off to Babylon. He was probably just a teenage boy, but he was a healthy, he was one of the few specimens of the Judas, of the Judites that went over and were with the people in Babylon. And so he was taken into the king's court. And it tells us in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 and 12, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. And then he said, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And so Daniel and his friends began to live a life of courage even at the very beginning of a time where they were taken away from their homes. They were probably dealing with homesickness. They'd been taken away from their families. They didn't know anybody. They didn't know the language yet. And yet they were drafted into the king's service and they had to do what the king said, probably at the threat of their own lives if they didn't. And yet when they came to the table where they would have this great banquet of food, they realized that there was food there that they could not eat. And so they would refuse to eat it. They refused to consume what the world was offering to them. And this is the first point for us to have courage. How do we have courage? We have to refuse to do what the world tells us to do. We have to refuse to believe what the world tells us to believe. The food that they were being offered would have been a compromise for them. And they had to have the courage to not just know what was right to do, but the courage to do it. And so courage is not just knowing what is right to do. I think many of us know what's right to do. And courage is not even necessarily just doing what is right. Courage also includes why we are courageous. 
Why do we do what we do? And so we look at these three men, these four men, and we see that they had courage that refused to compromise. Why? Because of their faith in God. They refused to compromise because of their faith in God. There was good food in front of them. This was choice wine in front of them. But the reason that they refused to eat, it wasn't because they were vegetarians. It was because of their faith in God. Now, they chose to only eat vegetables because the rest would have defiled them. The food that was before them would be things like horse meat and pork. And this food had been sacrificed along with the wine to idols. And so they chose not to eat it. They asked. They had the courage to ask that they would not have to eat it, even at the threat of their own lives, because they believed that God would take care of them. And that's the reason for our courage. The reason to not do what the world will do would be to say, you know what, I know and I believe God will take care of me. My faith in God is why I choose to not compromise. God will take care of me. And so Daniel did that. And God allowed for him to have that diet. And he turned out to be a man of great strength as his other friends. And then now they are in the king's court. And the king begins to have great respect for them. And they become one of the wise men of Babylon. One night the king had this weird dream. And he didn't know what it was. And so he called all of his wise men to him, his Babylonian wise men to him. Daniel and his friends weren't with him at this time. And the king said this. He says, I want you to tell me what my dream was that I had last night. And then I want you to interpret it. And so the wise men said, okay, tell us your dream and we'll interpret it. And he goes, no, I want you first to tell me what my dream was. I want you to tell, you're so wise. I'm not going to tell you anything. You tell me what my dream was. After you tell me what my dream was, then you'll tell me what it means. And so the wise men go, but, but king, no one can do that. No one could do that. And the king said, you're stalling. You're just stalling. Either you do it or you're dead. They go, but no one can do this. So the king issued an edict. And he said, then you're dead. And so he ordered his commander of the army to round up all of the Babylonian wise men plus all the Israelite wise men. So that would include Daniel and his three friends. And he was going to have them killed. And so Arioch, the commander, was commanded to bring Daniel to death. But we see that Daniel was a man of courage. And even in the midst of courage, he didn't react to what happens. I mean, a lot of times we face things. We say, I'm going to be courageous. But when the opportunity comes, we get fearful. And one of the things we do when we get fearful, we get tense, and then we begin to fight back. We want to fight back. That's just a natural reaction. We want to guard ourselves. We want to fight back. But we see that Daniel and his friends, they did not fight back. In fact, they were very respectful. And they continued to actually be very humble in the midst of a very difficult circumstance. They were able to have composure even in the midst of possibly being executed. So not only would they not compromise their faith, they also would live out their faith. And so they were respectful to those who would even want to harm them because they wanted these people to know God. You know, the way we react to difficult situations is a witness to other people. If we show courage because of our faith in God, it'll make a difference in how other people see God. 
They will see God as a God who is trustworthy if we ourselves shall trust in him. And so that's what Daniel did. And we can see in different times that Daniel was very respectful and were his friends, even in the midst of danger. So in Daniel chapter 2, verse 14, this is now the time when Arioch, the commander, was going to go and execute Daniel. And so it says, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. When we face difficult circumstances, God calls us to still speak with wisdom and tact, to still have composure while we do. Daniel was a man who continued to do the things that he did for a purpose that other people might know God. And when Daniel interpreted the dream, and Daniel and his wife and his friends went before the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel interpreted the dream, he told the king what his dream was, and then he told him what it meant. And the king knew that this was a wise man. And he also knew that Daniel's God was a true God. And so we hear the words of King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2.47. And the king said to Daniel, Surely your God is God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. You were able to reveal this mystery. So Daniel's life made a difference, not only in the lives of the kingdom, but in the heart of the king. Because Daniel and his friends remained courageous in the midst of a culture that was telling them to do something else. Now, we live in a culture that wants us to consume certain things that we know God doesn't want us to consume. You know, I'm 58 years old, and I know over the last 58 years, of course, I don't remember when I was a baby, but I remember as a kid that life has changed so much. And when I was a kid, nothing happened on Sundays except for people to stay home with their families. There were blue laws. Anybody know what blue laws were? So blue laws meant that every business would be closed on Sundays. So you were able then to just rest on Sundays. You would go to church if you believed in God and you would go to church. But even if you didn't, you would just rest. There, you couldn't go shopping. You couldn't go to the malls. The movie theaters weren't open. There weren't sports on Sundays that would drive us away from church. There were things that God would allow us to do on those days because the laws of the land were supportive of a day of rest. You look at TV. What's on TV now? What was on TV 50 years ago? You know, I Love Lucy, right? right? You know, what's on TV today? How do they depict love? What's in our culture? I want you to think about it right now. What's in our culture? What's trying in this world to be force-fed to us? I mean, think about things like in our ethics or in our morals. In the next slide. What's the world trying to feed us? I want you to think about it, and then you can just sort of talk to each other about this. But when you look into our world today, what is the world trying to tell us about ethics or moral or family? What is our world? How does our world depict Christianity or religion? How does our world teach about sex or treat sex? How about entertainment? What is considered entertainment today? And how is the world treating the family? Why don't you just turn to a, for a minute and just talk to someone there and just answer some of those questions. What is the world teaching us today? Go ahead and do that for about a minute, and I'll ask for some responses. Brian. 
Okay, what were some of the things that you, you just spoke about? What are some of the things that the world's trying to teach us today? What are the things that the world wants us to eat? Share with me. Share with us. Gay marriage, okay? And that's huge right now. You know, the Bible's very clear about homosexuality and about God's law, about that, for the good of people, for the good of man, and for the good of mankind. What else? Money, right. So the world's consumed with money and pursuing that. What else? Pleasure seeking, right? Hedonism. God's saying, you know, just live for this world. You only go around once. This is it. Okay, get all you can. What else is the world trying to teach us? There's no absolute. There's no truth. Everything's relative, right? Just believe what you believe. Whatever your truth is your truth. You know, what else? Anything else? I think one of the things that... Oh, one more, Bernice. Right. Okay, so sex is not precious. It's not something that you guard. It's just something that you can use, right? Something that you can flaunt. Okay, so God is teaching us something very different than this. And these are things that if we are going to have courage, then we have to be willing to say no to these things. We have to not eat them. We have to not consume them. And these are things that God will put upon our hearts, and these are things that we would want to teach our children things that we don't want our children to get involved in because we want them to honor God. And so God wants us to refuse to consume the world's diet. We're going to think about that some more towards the end of today's message. But God also wants us to resist bowing to idols. God wants us to resist bowing to idols. And we see this in Daniel chapter 3. And King Nebuchadnezzar, even though Daniel had shown himself to be the one who worships the one true God, King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't a believer, and he went back to his old ways, and he built this humongous statue. And he said, everyone's going to have to worship this image of gold that I have made. Everyone has to bow down. And so we read in Daniel chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, this is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whatever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And so we see right there that there's a great challenge to Daniel and his friends, that they are not to bow down to the idol that is right before them. Now, you and I, the things that we just met, and some of them we realize like maybe money or sex, power, those things we might say, okay, those are, those are things that we shouldn't bow down to. All right? But, but there are other things that we might think about as idols. And those would be things that David Clarkson, a pastor way back when in 1600s, talked about in a, very, in a sermon that's still around today. And you can read about it if you look down the bottom. I have the, the note there. You can find it on the internet. But he talks about soul idolatry. And he says that there are secret sins in our own heart. There's inner idolatry that's just as bad as bowing down to an idol of gold, just as bad as bowing down like to a Buddha, or just as bad as bowing down to any false god. He goes, there are things about our soul that we can bow down to. And he has a list of 13 of them. Right? But I'm going to talk about just five right now. I want to pose them as questions. 
Because the way we answer these questions can help us to see what are the gods that we all struggle with. It's not like it's not just one of us here. It's not just a few. We all struggle. And so these are things that we have to resist because it's always around us. So think about this. What are things that you think about the most? Or to put it another way, what do you worry about? What do you worry about? That can give us an indication of the things that are part of our soul idolatry, things that we might bow down to because we worry about them. Or do we think, do we use our mind to think of God? So instead of worrying, we we think of God's power. Or we can think about God's mercy or his justice. We can think about God's compassion, his love, his sovereignty. We can think about God's promises. And those things help us against the God of worry. Another question we might ask ourselves, and this would actually deal with the topic of love, but where do you go for comfort and affection? When you're hurting, where do you go for comfort and affection? Do you go shopping? Do you have another way to numb the pain? Or do you like to eat? You know, you go run or hide? Where do you go when you need comfort and affection? Because God always offers himself to enfold us and to love us. Third question is, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? That can become a God to us, revealing to us the things that we might do just to avoid fear. See, Daniel and his friends, they were not afraid. They were not afraid of King Nebuchadnezzar. They were not afraid of offending the people. They were willing to be the people that God wanted them to be, even at the threat of their own. They weren't even afraid of dying because they trusted in God as their God. A fourth question could be, what gives you the most joy or happiness? What gives you the most joy or happiness? I think that was mentioned there, that delight and hedonism and pleasures in this world. Sometimes we live for that, what we can eat or what we can drink, or even our jobs can be that way. We think that that gives us joy. You know, we can even make our family, like that for me would be one of the the idols I must be aware of, is putting my family ahead of God. God wants us to have joy and he wants us to have happiness in these things, but not above him. What gives us the most joy or happiness? The last one is, what really makes you angry? That can reveal where our gods are. What makes you angry? Somebody dents your car? Does it make you really angry? Somebody takes your parking space? Somebody just sort of offends you? What makes you really angry? That can become a god to us, reveal what our gods are. I think David Clarkson is really on to something that we need to continue to think about, that our souls, our souls can lead us into places of idolatry. God wants us to be strong. He wants us not to bow down to idols, even if it costs us something. The king, when he heard that Daniel's three friends wouldn't bow down to the idol, he got mad. He got really mad. And so he had made the fire that he was going to throw people in. He says he made it seven times hotter 
And he threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. And it was so hot that even the soldiers who were pushing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire, they died because of the heat of the fire. That's how hot it was. But once they pushed them in, they could still see Shadrach and Meshach in the fire, not dead, walking around. And in Daniel chapter 3, verse 24, we read this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. A fourth person was in there in the fire with them. And scholars believe that this was an early manifestation of Jesus. This was Jesus with these four, three men walking with them. Not just a son of the gods, but the son of God was with them. And this is the promise that God has given to us. The story is about God being with us. So if we find things that we are afraid to do just because it's so hard and fearful, we're afraid of offending the word or we're afraid we're losing something, we can remember God is going to be with us. No matter what we do, God promises to be with us. About a hundred years earlier, Isaiah wrote these words in Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep you over. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. God will be with us. We are not to bow down to idols. We are not to be so afraid of this world that we don't obey God. God wants us to be brave and courageous and to follow him and only worship him. Well, the third thing that Daniel and his friends teach us about courage is that a person who really wants to have courage is a person who will pray openly to the one true God, who will pray openly to the one true God. And Daniel now is almost at the end of his life. He's about 90 years old. And because he has lived a godly life, God has let him live beyond the lifespans of the two previous his kings. So King Nebuchadnezzar died. Daniel continued to be a wise man of Babylon. The new king was Belshazzar. Belshazzar died. And then there was another new king, Darius. And King Darius was suggested by his administrators and by those who worked around him that people who were jealous of Daniel, they knew that Daniel was a godly man and they wanted to get Daniel in trouble. But they couldn't do anything because his character was so great. And so the only way that they could figure out to try to get Daniel in trouble was to make it illegal for Daniel to pray because he prayed all the time. And so they went to the king and they said, Oh, king, You know, you're so wise, let's do this. Let's make it a law that no one in this world can pray to anyone but our gods or you, okay, over the next 30 days, right? But if anyone does over these next 30 days, then you'll throw them into the den of lions. And King Darius said, yeah, yeah, sounds good to me. And so he signed the edict. And the wise men of Babylon thought, all right, we've got it now, we're going to get Daniel. And so Daniel heard about the decree that anyone who prays other than to King Darius or to one of their gods will be thrown into the lion's den. 
And so this is what we read in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So as soon as he heard the edict, that anyone who prays publicly, anyone who openly prays, what he did is he went to his room, he went upstairs, his window was open, and he prayed. And he knew that everyone would see him. And it's, he didn't do it for show, because it tells us that this is what he always did. This is what Daniel always did. He always prayed openly so that the people of Babylon would know that he was a man seeking after the one true God. He continued to be a witness in this unholy land. He continued to let other people know he's a Christian. A simple way that we might do this is when we go to a restaurant and we're out with our friends or with our family. But before we eat, we take each other, we form our circle, we may hold hands or not, but we will pray and say a simple prayer, and bow our heads, and be a witness to the restaurant that we believe in God, and that we pray. God wants us to pray. There are youth that are brave, and that are going to their schools, and they meet in front of their schools before school begins, and they go around with the flagpole, and they pray. There are times in our lives where God gives us the opportunity to stand up and to pray publicly. But for us to do that, we need to pray regularly, as Daniel did. And we need to have the courage to ask other people to pray. You know, I've never, ever asked somebody if I could pray for you, and they said no. You know, someone might say, like, they're going through something, and then I said, well, may I pray for you? No one's ever said no. And many people have come and asked you to pray for them, and you've said, you didn't say no, right? Someone says, well, would you pray for me? You go, no, of course not. You will pray. We need and we want to have other people praying for us. And so today I want to give you a chance to have courage, right? And so I wanted to um, pass these out. These are just index cards. Pass out on this side. James, could you pass them out on this side? Everybody just take one index card. And when you get this index card... I want you to think about a prayer request that you have for yourself. Okay, now I know it's going to be tempting to say, I want you to pray for my friend, all right? But I, I want to encourage you to have the courage to write down a prayer request that you'd be willing to share with anybody here, okay? So, you know, you don't have to share your deepest, darkest sins, okay? But I do want to encourage you to think about this. Now, think back. Okay, is there a place right now in your life where, where you know that you are tempted to consume something of the world, the world's diet? Is there a place in your life where, where it's hard to, to remain faithful or to be respectful in a difficult situation? Are there certain types of things that you worry about too much? Or do you know that you're afraid of things where you ought to be trusting God? Or do you know maybe that you get too angry over certain things that aren't that important? I want to encourage you right now to, to take the card, write your name on it, write your name on it. That's easy. It's the easiest thing you'll do. Okay. Write your name. And then I want you to think back for what you've heard so far this morning. 
I want you to write a personal prayer request that you'd be willing to share with anybody here today. So go, you know, as far as you want with that. But do write something down. Keep writing. I appreciate just seeing you write your prayer requests. You know, I've been enjoying bits and pieces of the Olympics. And if prayer was an Olympic sport, we could all get gold medals. If prayer was an Olympic sport, we could all get gold medals. You know, the world watches and the world, in a sense, is rooting for the different countries. And, of course, you're rooting for your own. Maybe I didn't get to see it. I wanted to, but I didn't want to stay up so late. I was to watch the uh, hockey game between Russia and, and the U.S. That was yesterday. And it's just a preliminary round, but the U.S. won in a shootout at the end. So I heard it was extremely exciting and very disappointing since, for the Russians since it's in Russia. Uh, but, you know, they'll probably get their chance to play again. Um, but everybody wants to root for their country. Well, Daniel was in exile. And this world was not his country. He was rooting for God's kingdom. And the country that you and I represent is not the United States of America. We represent the kingdom of God. It's his banner. It's his flag that flies over each and every one of us. And we are seeking to win a gold medal so that the world might know the country that we stand for. And in prayer, it's one of the great ways for us to show this to the world. Because the goal is not to defeat the world in that sense. The goal is to win the world to God's side. The goal is to show other people that we love each other so much that we would rather pray for someone else than just for ourselves. And I've said this before, but if there were 100 people here and everybody were praying for me, it'd be 100 or 99 to 1. 
But if I pray for myself, of course, that's it. But if we share our prayer requests, we have power in knowing that other people are bringing us before God in love. And God wants us to be praying for other people. And so this is the opportunity for courage that's going to come up at the end of our service today. Is that instead of the worship team singing after the benediction, we're just going to be playing music. Just a little quieter music. And what I want you to do after the benediction is I just want you to go to somebody else, somebody not in your family, (laughs) so don't just exchange prayer requests with your spouse, Um, but go to somebody else and just simply say, how can I pray for you? Or can I pray for you? And then you'll be ready because all you'll have to do is give them your card. And then I want you to take that card home and pray for them this week. I challenge you to pray every day. It doesn't have to be long. I'm sure nobody wrote a novel there. But keep that card in a prominent place and pray for them. Pray openly and pray publicly, even with your family. Let this be an example of what we can do of caring for each other, of praying for one another. King Darius knew when Daniel came out of the lion's den alive that there was only one God and that God was Daniel's God. Timothy says it this way, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's how we end our prayers. And it's also how we begin our prayers. To the King eternal, to the King immortal, invisible, and the only God. That's who we are praying to. And so we can pray openly. And we can pray courageously. Because we are called here to make a difference in this world for God. God has called you here today to hear this message, to spread the message of prayer for others. I want to encourage you after you leave here, when you're out in your jobs, out where you live, not to be afraid this week. When you're talking to somebody and you hear something that they share that's worthy of prayer, say, you know what? I want to pray for you about that. Is that okay? Is that okay? And I bet no one's going to say no. They're all going to say, would you? Wow. Yeah, thank you. Let them know you're praying for them. Spread the good news that way by praying for others and letting them pray for you. And then, after you share your card today, if you want to, you don't have to, but if you want to, you read each other's card. Maybe you just stop right then before you go and get a snack and just say a prayer. And I do see that happening even during the snack time. People talking, sharing, and all of a sudden they just bow their head and begin to pray. That is such an important part of why we come to be in the body of Christ is to pray for each other. And so after the benediction and you're sharing your cards, if you want to, and you exchange a card, and both people don't have to pray, maybe just one or none, but if you want to, then pray together for one another or pray for each other, just one might pray for both of you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and for your goodness. Lord, thank you that on this day, that um, this weekend, we celebrate President's Weekend, Lord. We, we celebrate the history of this country that 
allows for us to have freedom. The works of President Washington and the sacrifices of President Lincoln. We remember, Lord, that it was their passion and their desire that we might be free to worship you. And here we are, Lord, doing this today. We have an opportunity to pray publicly, and it's legal. In other countries, it's not even legal, like Daniel. But he did it anyway. He prayed openly. Lord, give us the courage to live this way, to pray openly, to stand against what the world tells us we ought to eat, to not consume what the world gives us, to not bow down to the idols of the soul, but to turn our hearts and our favor and our hope and our trust over to you. Lord, grant us your courage through your Holy Spirit and through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.